Welcome back to the Heat Check Sim Show with your host, The Real Sim Shady. I'm excited to share today's episode with you. I've got three great interviews to share with you. I interviewed the head coaches of Heat Check Wofford, Heat Check UC Davis, as and Heat Check Monmouth. Um, all three uh, coaches are expected to have you know great seasons in season five, potentially their best in sim history. And so you know I was excited to get a chance to talk to each of them, get a little perspective on how they got to this point and and what they're expecting from their team this year. So excited to share those interviews with you shortly. Um, but first, I wanted to give you a quick update on what to what is to come. Um, I'm also going to be releasing the season five preview episode within the next day or two. Um, you know, the head coach of South Dakota State, uh, Matt Evans and myself have, have put a lot of work into um, pulling together the information and uh, and everything needed for that episode. And so, as always, there's going to be a ton of a ton of content. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, a ton of different teams, probably over the over 200 like we have in the past couple. Um, and so I'm really excited to be able to share that content with you, um, you know, in the next day or two. Um, But for now, I hope these interviews serve as a good appetizer for you guys uh, for the Season 5 preview. I know it's been a little bit of a layoff for everyone from the Heat Check Sim, and so I hope this will help us get ramped back into it and get excited for Season 5. So let's hop hop on into it. I'm excited to welcome my next guest to the show. Uh, I've got Coach Matt from heat check Wofford on the line and welcome to the show coach hey I'm uh glad to be here and and uh you know I love the work you've done in the past and excited to finally uh come on and, and chat with you oh I appreciate it yeah yeah I'm looking forward to having you this is this is the first interview I'm doing for you know our season five preview and I really wanted to get a bunch of coaches on who um have teams that are in a position to have their best uh, best season in in sim history and uh, without a doubt, your your team fits the bill. Um, so before we get too much into your season five uh, team and, and its outlook, I just want to take a, a second to acknowledge how far your team has come throughout the simulation. Um, so I'm curious, uh, you know, to hear about, you know, what it's taken to get to this point, um, if there was any key turning points, anything like that. But I mean, just to get us started, you came into season one uh, with the strength of roster of 336. Yeah, um, so Wofford alum, so that's kind of why I took the them in the simulation to begin with. Um, so it was just kind of a pride thing of like, hey, here's my school, here's where I went. And obviously in real life, they've had uh, a really good decade. Um, and so I was thinking coming in, all right, I'm going to have a decent team because I had heard that it was, you know, based on the last 20 years or so of basketball. So I was like, you know, 50-50, they were terrible in the 2000s, good in the 2010s you know, I'm going to have a team that's probably somewhere in the middle, uh, never dreaming that I would come in with the team that I had. Um, and so it was kind of like frustrating off the bat, but I tried to push through that. And, uh, so the strategy for season one, I don't even think I got a win until halfway through conference play. Um, and obviously that's, that's pretty discouraging, you know, when you're Oh and whatever, or one and whatever. Um, so the first thing I said is I have to overhaul this roster. And of course, none of us knew how recruiting really worked in this thing. It was new for everyone. Um, so if you want to talk about a turning point, it was really being successful in that first year of recruiting. Price Kelly, 
um, these guys who are three stars and they're the basis of my roster up to now, you know, so they're all seniors and this has been the point that we've been building towards. Um, and so it was really just about kind of taking those lumps in year two um, and slowly getting those de uh, dev numbers up to where they were reaching their full potential. So um, I got excited about season two thinking I've got all these new players and they're really going to come in. And I still think I went like over 10 right off the bat. Um, so I didn't even get my first non-conference win pretty sure until season three and that just tells you what kind of a, a rebuild that it was um but it's all kind of paid off um finally getting our first win in a conference tournament last season even winning uh in an upset in the nit getting our first postseason bid um so it's all built to this season with everybody that i've pulled in to you know have an ncaa tournament squad whether that's winning the conference outright or um you know getting that Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, this team, uh, you start out with at, at a strength of roster at 336. And just with the recruits that you were able to bring in uh, from season one, uh, you jumped all the way up to 191 in season two, which is, you know, incredibly impressive. But like you said, it's a slow rebuild, so you're not going to have success, you know, right away. Um, but I, I appreciate the, you know, the strategy. And I think this is the strategy that most mid-majors are, are going with. I, I don't really know if there's another way at this point, but just making sure that you are able to develop all those guys uh, over time so that you can get to the point where you can reach your, your full potential in their senior season, which like you said, is, is season five, that this is your moment. Um, and so let's, let's get into a little bit about, you know, how this roster is made up. And so I want to start with um, your incoming recruiting class for season five. I know um, obviously most of your team is upperclassmen, but you did uh, bring in a, a recruit for season five to fill out that roster. Um, just curious about how you were able to uh, fill that need or, or fill that last roster spot. And if there was anything specific you were looking for. So really uh, we had one outgoing senior, um, Derek Clem, who was at the small forward position. And ironically, uh, if I recall, was the only player that I kept from the original roster from season one. Um, and he was actually um, high loyalty, high death. So he's the kind of player you want to begin with. And so he was a freshman on that team. Um, so I really didn't see a need to force him out. And, of course, he was a solid, uh, usually our solid third best score every game behind Kelly and Norris um, for the last couple seasons. So it was really just kind of looking to replace him. And I would argue that he's irreplaceable for what he did for the team. But um, really, and I, I had the flexibility because I have another small forward on the roster. So I didn't necessarily have to fill that position um but you know the way recruiting has been and especially with the development of the crystal ball you know you have a better idea of whether you're gonna go um, get somebody basically and obviously going full dev because of the players that i already had um it made it a lot harder to get that splash in recruiting like i've seen a lot of other mid-majors make over the last few years so for me i really wanted to and i kind of emphasize this on the discord um in conversation with coaches is that you know, if you know you're going to miss on the home run on a guy that's, you know, overall as a freshman, you at least want to avoid that autofill. So that was kind of my focus. I tried to find a guy who, you know, he's not going to put up crazy numbers. He's not going to be a 12 or 13, but he's not going to be a four or five. And so that's where I ended up with uh, LeVar Trotter, uh, one guy. And again, I think he's just going to fill in a solid role player. He's not going to be asked to do too much, um, at least this year. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, it's nice when you don't have um, you only have that one roster spot left, and you don't have a, a specific position of need because 
Um, it kind of gives you that flexibility to go after whoever's available um, and get and get the best player that you can get. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, you only had the one roster spot to fill. Did you were you able to fill it pretty early on? Did you fill it in one of the first uh, cycles or did you uh, kind of bide your time and fill it out uh, at the end after kind of seeing what all came through? He was actually a cycle two recruit. Um, so um, I did have a couple other offers that I put in and it really kind of came down to, you know, so I'm an East coaster and I know it's kind of a, a discussion amongst coaches, East coast versus West coast, because that email always comes through at midnight for us on the East coast, uh, obviously at better times as you get further across the country. So um, a lot of those other offers that failed or showed us failed, it was just me. I'd put in an offer at one point, kind of realized I wasn't going to get a guy and was too lazy to go back and submit an email without a submission. Um, so it was really just kind of focusing on, you know, one guy per cycle. Um, and uh, this was probably the first time I did play around really with the crystal ball and start looking at, all right, I'm putting in this offer, wait 15 minutes and see if, if it changes. And so Lavara was that first guy that I got that flip on um, when there were four or five offers in. And I figured as long as he holds, um, then I'm good. And then I don't have to worry about other recruiting cycles. So I definitely wanted to fill early on, had to wait till the second cycle, but everything worked out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely understand that. You want to uh, fill it out earlier. And then, I mean, like you said, if, if, uh, if you were able to find a, a better recruit later on, I mean, you still could land that guy and potentially push, push this guy out, but um, it worked out pretty well. You got a solid, solid fill in for your last roster spot. And this is a roster that, like you said, you've, you've been developing over the last four seasons, and it's a really impressive roster, especially for a mid-major. Um, the SOCON is, has, has to be really pleased to have you because now we've got multiple teams uh, that could be vying for uh, postseason bids. But getting into your, your your team's roster as a whole, so outside of that one recruit, LeVar Trotter, um, you know, you've got five seniors. You mentioned this is, this is your year. You've got five seniors, you've got two juniors um, and they're, they're really highly rated across the board. Um, what are you kind of expecting from your, your team and, and, and tell us about the way it's built. So, I mean, expectation number one is to win the SoCon. Like that's kind of been at least for the last two years for me, when you look at comparison with the other rosters that have been in the league, um, have been comparable. And so the the expectation had to be winning the conference, and that doesn't change this year. Um, nobody likes to sweat out Selection Sunday, whether it's in a sim or real life. So getting that auto bid is, is goal number one. Um, but um, it's kind of interesting. I didn't – again, we were all figuring out recruiting in season one. So ending up with three point guards wasn't necessarily a plan. It just kind <laughs> of happened that way because I was looking at who were the best players, you know, who had those best ratings. And, again, I never dreamed that I was going to land – Kelly and Norris together, much less you throw in um, Ron Greer, my third point guard. So I know there's been discussion among the other SoCon coaches about my roster and does that help or hurt me? Um, because even though they're talented, are they all on the court at the same time based off of kind of the way uh, things play out? But uh, regardless, I mean, I've got two basically NBA level guys and Kelly and Norris based on um, the draft pullbacks from the last couple of seasons. Uh, Kelly and Norris both put their names in two years ago and came back. Kelly had his name back in this year and came back. So we've got the talent there that allows us not just to compete in the league, but I mean, we had wins over Michigan and UCLA in our um, tournament last year. So we proved that we could go out and beat teams that were going to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, and so the biggest thing for us is getting over the hump in the conference. You know, we've gone out and we've gotten those key non-conference wins. 
Um, we've beaten teams like Chattanooga before. In fact, I laugh because Samford's the thorn in my side. You know, they were the ones that, that went out. They won, ended up winning the league in the regular season and the conference tournament. And they're a team that I think I've beaten the least over all five seasons. Um, so I don't really know what it is about them um, or how that plays out. But for me, getting over the hump is beating Sanford. I know I can beat everybody else. I've done it. Um, and, of course, the rosters are different this year, so everything's going to play out differently. But um, that's just kind of the way we look at it is I have a roster where I have star players in the guards. Uh, do it Ajayi at center is a rebounding machine. Uh, he's in the top ten in rebounding in the SoCon the last two years. Um, and it's, it's funny. I never expected much out of the recruits I got two seasons ago. When you look at Jacob Hartman and, and Gino Eggleston, and yet when I look through the stats, you know, game by game, they're producing in ways that when you think about it, it's helping out. Uh, Eggleston especially, um, and it's probably because he's the only power forward on my team, but he, he contributes scoring that, you know, four or five, six points a game can make a difference when the game's close. So um, I will say I want to give a shout out to Ognan Nierczyk. Um, he was the only transfer I've ever landed since I've done this uh, simulation. And he was one of those guys that I brought in. It was just kind of a similar uh, approach with LeVar Trotter. I'm just going to see if I can get him and upgrade somewhere. And he's come in and he scores when he needs to. He passes when he needs to. And I think he just kind of gets overlooked because of the star power above him at the other guard position. Yeah, this is this is a really impressive uh, roster you've put together. Like you said, you've got two NBA-level guys. Price Kelly's at a 17.5 overall. And then Colton Norris is right behind him with a 17.4. Both of those guys are point guards. Like you mentioned, Ron Greer is your third best player, and he is also a point guard. And so um, you've, what you've got is a really guard-heavy lineup. Um, but, I mean, a lot of times it takes guard play to win in the tournament uh, to make to make that push. Um, so I like, I like the way your roster is built. It is interesting that you mentioned, you know, you've had discussions about whether it, it's helped you um, or hurt you throughout – the sim having guys that are, uh, you know, your three best players are all point guards because it's hard to know how much they're playing um, together or, you know, if they're coming off the bench and playing less minutes. But um, clearly it's worked out for you to this point. You've had success. And so I, I don't expect that to change at all coming into season five. Um, but just to touch on a couple, you know, key figures about this this roster, you've got you've got the, um, the, the fourth most experienced roster in the entire country, meaning – uh, you know, your guys have seen it all. You have, you do have that one freshman recruit, but I mean, the rest of these guys, they've been through the battles. They know what it's going to take. Uh, you, like you said, they've already gotten some key wins against uh, NCAA tournament quality teams. Uh, they've been through the conference grind a few times. Um, so I think you guys have everything it takes to get over that hump in conference play and win the conference outright this year. Um, you've also got, as, as to be expected, you've got a ton of continuity. You're, uh, in a top quarter in the country in continuity. Um, you've got, according to uh, the the uh, season five file, you've got the 34th best starting lineup in the entire country. Uh, your bench is uh, in the top 100 as well at 91st. And then your, your overall strength roster is up to 49th um, in season five. So like I said, you, you've had success to this point, but this is the season that you've been waiting for. This is the season you've been building for. And uh, I, I think you have you have uh, every right to be excited and optimistic about what, what can unfold this year. That being said, the SoCon is extremely tough this year. I, this is going to be something that I'm going to be touching on in, in a good amount of detail in the Season 5 preview episode uh, that we put together. But 
I mean, of all the mid-major conferences, it's hard to argue that the SoCon hasn't been the most impressive uh, in, in the Sims history. Um, it's jumped all the way up to the 10th best conference in the country, I believe, out of the 32 uh, conferences. And it started out at 25th in season one. So, I mean, the rise of the SoCon has been a storyline that's been really fun to follow. And, and it kind of all is is peaking right now at, at the same time that your team is peaking. But you've got you've got UNC Greensboro, who's got the 29th strongest roster in the country. Uh, you follow them at 49th. VMI is at 66th. Samford, you know, your uh, Achilles heel evidently is at 72nd. Chattanooga is at 100. Furman at 113. So you've got six teams, uh, you know, essentially in the top 120. And then, you know, the, the bottom four, they, they do – there is a bit of a cliff there, but – I mean, even the, the worst team, East Tennessee State, is still in the top 300. So you don't have uh, any of those real cupcake games that you can just kind of guarantee wins. Um, so it's, it's going to be a really tough conference. But what it does is it, it should prepare you for, um, you know, your uh, your NCAA push and because you're going to have those those tough games throughout the season, not only in your non-conference that we'll touch on in, in a second, but um, you're going to have plenty of opportunities in conference play to rack up those quality wins um so getting into your um uh, well well uh, first i'll let you touch on the socon if you want to if there's anything specific about um any of the other teams you're looking forward to to seeing this year sure um you know it's kind of funny to watch the progression of the socon so first and foremost i love being in the league i never really would have thought this but discord has been a great addition to the simulation and it helps even more that we have an active league i think we have um, at least seven coaches that are on there and I think six that are really involved in some capacity. So it allows for all of us to kind of have conversations, friendly banter and whatnot. But at the end of the day, we've all been supportive. You know, when Sanford got that bid last year and VMI two years ago, they're on discord. And so we're like, Hey, it sucks that we lost to you, but you know what? Good luck and go represent the league. And so I think being able to have these discussions amongst the other coaches has really helped the league ascend the way that it has because we're all looking at ways to improve ourselves. And at the end of the day, we know it helps each other. You know, we can go out and do a strong non-con and that's great. And that'll boost your SOR, but it helps just as much to have an SOR boost within your league. That's what the power conferences get every game. So to have uh, opportunities like that within the league is about all you could ask for when it comes to your opportunities to improve yourself nationally. And, um, you know, I laugh because it's kind of similar to the way the SOCON has been in real life. Over the last four or five seasons, the, the league's profile has boosted, and that comes from the same thing where the teams have increased each other individually to create a collective league that is much better on the national stage than it's been in years past. Definitely, yeah, that is interesting to kind of see how it's also played out in real life a little bit. Um, but just a, one final thing about the SOCON, and again, this will be touched on more in the Season 5 preview, but uh, VMI and, and your team, Wofford, are the two most improved teams since Season 1. Um, in the entire simulation and they both come from the same conference so that kind of just further illustrates the uh the power of of the 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 discord and, and kind of helping each other um you know advance your rosters advance your teams and 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 develop um but it's it's been incredibly incredibly impressive and so like you said you're gonna have plenty of opportunities in conference play like some of those power conference teams do to boost their resumes and so I don't think it's outlandish to to think we, we're going to get at, I would say at least two SOCON teams in the in March Madison potentially three um, 
so this, this could be this could be a really fun season for the SoCon. I, I would expect nothing less. Um, but going into your non-conference schedule, you mentioned that too. It's it's important to schedule a tough non-conference when you're in a uh, position like you are, where you're you're about 50th in the country. Um, so you're going to be one of those teams that's potentially on the board uh, on the bubble coming uh, to, to selection Sunday if you want to win your conference tournament. And so I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on your your non-conference schedule. Um, I know your strength of schedule overall is 98th. Uh, and so for a mid-major team, that's a really strong um, strength of schedule, which, like you said, is partially due to how strong the conference is. But obviously, you had to go out and, and schedule some good games for the non-conference. So tell us about, you know, who you who you got on your on your schedule, who you're excited to play and what your expectations are for that. Yeah, so um, three of the games that I scheduled myself were returns of home and homes from last year, but they were also um, matchups that I seeked out that I knew the teams were solid. You know, Miami, Ohio, uh, I believe was an at-large last year, um, and they are going to be solid again this year, even though they're not ranked in the top 25. You look at Wright State, another team that's really ascended in this simulation um, in terms of a mid-major and their preseason 17. And Long Beach State is the other return game from last season. And that's a squad that's on the rise, um, you know, based on the ratings, obviously we're supposed to be a better team than them, but I wouldn't be surprised if we lost because, you know, they're a team that's been building that coach has been doing a great job. And uh, it was nice to, we wanted to kind of visit the West coast as well. Um, and then you look at uh, the two new additions, VCU preseason 19, the former UNC Greensboro coach when the simulation first started. Um, and so I just reached back out to him and, and wanted to get that set up. And that'll be a great opportunity on the road. Um, and then Tulane as well, I believe, was an NIT team last year and I think won a game or two. And so it was just another chance to get a quality opponent on the roster. Um, and then the draw that we got as far as our preseason tournament, um, based off I kind of looked through the ratings from the guide this morning, we may be the second or third best team, depending on how you evaluate us versus uh, Oklahoma. And it's just ironic that, you know, I would make the argument that if that is the case, Wake Forest being the best team in this this tournament, that you could have the de facto championship between us and them right away. Um, and that's no disrespect to the other teams. It's just based off looking at the, you know, initial ratings. But it's exciting to at least get that opportunity right away that sometimes with those tournaments, you think you're going to play somebody in the semis or the uh, consolation, whatever you end up doing, and you don't get that opportunity. So at least getting the opportunity to play Wake Forest right away um, no matter what else happens is going to be a great experience no matter what. Um, and then you have our four protected rivals who, um, honestly, I think they're the reason our think of schedule isn't better. Um, and it's not to say that I don't like having wins on the schedule like that. Um, but they're definitely teams that I feel like haven't done things to try and improve over the sim, whether they're computer teams or what have you. So, um, but you only deal with what you get. And, you know, those are the four teams we get every year. So, that's why it's been really important to me to go out and get those strong five other games on my own. Um, and then just hope that I've get a good draw with tournaments, which I had the last couple of years, you know, getting the opportunity to play Michigan and UCLA. We've beaten Gonzaga in one a few years ago. So we've had our opportunities and we've come through. So I'm really hoping that's the case this year and that we build a resume um, right off the bat before we get into SOCOM play that puts us up there. And that's, that's what happened last year. And I really believe that's the reason we were able to squeak in the VNIT. Yeah, I really like this uh, schedule for multiple reasons. Obviously, you mentioned you kind of outlined some of the, the big matchups you had. But the other thing I like about it is that you went out of your way 
uh, it seems, or maybe this isn't the case, but it seems like you went out of your way to schedule, um, you know, mid-major teams that are also in your position where you're looking for quality opponents. Um, I know for a lot of mid-majors, the appeal is to go play uh, the big name schools whenever they have an opportunity, go play, you know, North Carolina or whoever it may be, a big 12 team, whatever, whatever the case is. But what you've done here is you're, you're boosting your strength of rock, uh, strength of record potentially with, with games against, you know, Wright state who's preseason 17 VCU's preseason 19 uh, Long Beach States uh, right outside the top 100 Tulane in the same position. And then Miami of Ohio's right around where you are in the, in the, uh, 50 ish range. Um, and so you're scheduling teams that um, they're also looking for quality wins. And ultimately I'm a mid-major team myself. I, I um, like to see mid-major teams um, get those resume boosters when they can. Uh, that's why I love the bracket buster event too, that Lafayette's been putting on. Um, and so it, it's, I like the fact that you kind of went out of your way. You did, you, you scheduled some of those games. And so not only are you, um, boosting your strength of schedule and your uh, potential strength of record. Um, but you're helping out other mid-major teams too, who are looking uh, to potentially get an at-large bid as well. Um, but yeah, like you said, you're also getting a couple of, the, couple of those games against those bigger name teams, uh, those power conference teams. You got Wake Forest uh, to start off the Paradise Jam. And that's a, an interesting point about um, kind of you, your, your team and, and theirs being the best two teams in the tournament. And I totally agree with your point. It's great to just, uh, play them right out of the gate because you just never know what's going to happen. Um, so it's nice to have that game under your belt uh, for better or worse. And then uh, going into your final two games, you know, you've got Oklahoma there, you know, Army's there, UNC Wilmington, some solid teams for sure. Um, but getting that one really quality opponent um, is, is, is really important. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that kind of worked out really well for you actually. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if you had any further thoughts on, on kind of, uh, your non-conference schedule, but yeah, I, I really like this schedule. Well, I am um, assuming that everything goes through um, with this, this first sheet. Um, my exhibition is supposed to be Creighton. So that was kind of my way of like, I'm going to find out what kind of team I have right away. You know, Creighton's been one of the best over the last few years. And so I put them as my exhibition. I reached out and got that game because, you know, whether we lose by 30 um, pull out a win somehow or whatever that result is going to be of how I stack up against the best of the best. So I figured that's, that's my litmus. And then we run through the schedule and get better as the season goes, if everything goes according. Yeah, to definitely. Yeah. That's a great, great litmus test for sure to see Creighton. I mean, they were, I mean, undefeated until basically the last cycle last season. Um, obviously they had the band, so they weren't able to participate in, in March Madness, but yeah, that was a really solid team. I think they're preseason number 12 this year. So uh, you're going to have uh, a great matchup with Creighton. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see you pull off a win there. Unfortunately, it won't help your strength of record, but like you said, it'll get you, give you an idea of where your team stands kind of heading into your uh, um, paradise jam event with Wake Forest starting off the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing how, how your team, comes together this season, what you're able to um, accomplish in, in conference play, what you're able to do in your non-conference and to get some of those quality wins. And I'm really, I'm really pulling for you. I'm pulling for, you know, a lot of those mid-major teams out there that are, uh, that are hoping to have really good seasons. Um, I'm pulling for you guys, hoping that you have uh, all the success you're hoping for, make a little March Madness run. Um, so good luck to you this season. And, and really uh, thanks for joining me for this. I had a great time. I think, I think this was a, a really good kind of outlook on Wofford going into season five.
Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you having me, and best of luck to you and Liberty as well. Um, I'm the same way. I, I love seeing mid-majors succeed, so I'm really hoping that maybe this is the year one of us breaks through and, and wins it all. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, definitely so. one of these years it's going to happen for sure. All right. I appreciate it again. Um, yeah, looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Good luck to you. I'm excited to welcome my next show. I've got uh, the head coach of Heat Check, UC Davis, on the line. How's it going, coach? Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. Like I mentioned previously, but this is the first time I've kind of had um, a few coaches on just for um, kind of the season five preview purposes, just to talk about, you know, teams that uh, I think are going to have really good seasons this year and, and potentially this, the best seasons that they've had to to, to date in the Sims. So, um, and your, your, your team, uh, UC Davis, definitely fits the bill. Um, and so just to give people a little bit of context before we get into your season five roster and team and everything like that, I wanted to just give some people or give the people a little bit of a, an idea of where you've come from throughout the sim. So, um, you know, starting out, it looks like season one, you were in, in the 280 range about for your uh, strength of roster. Uh, season two, you jumped up to uh, 128, uh, fell slightly back in season three to 159, but then season four, you're all the way up to 81. And now for season five, you're up to 57. So um, definitely a really, really strong rise over the last four seasons. And I'm curious uh, from your perspective, is there anything or are there any specific turning points or anything like that that you think are notable that have kind of gotten you to this point? Yeah. So season one was kind of a crapshoot, right? With recruiting, especially because no one knew how anything works. There's no crystal ball and stuff like that. And so my team's terrible. Like I looked at the roster. I was like, all right, these guys are garbage. I don't want any of them. So my whole game plan was full dirty, dropping bags, full recruiting, <laughs> and we're get some ball players in here. Right. And so went out and so Eli uh, said that you have a higher chance of recruiting players. If the less guys you recruit. So I'm like, all right. So if I just offer one guy, I have max sliders to recruiting, max sliders are dirty. I should get everyone I offer. And that's kind of how I went into it season one. So I just offered the highest rated guys I could. Got a four-star, another top 100 uh, three-star, and another top 150 three-star. And that really – you see a j- jump in my roster rating from season two. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the tough thing with season one's uh, recruiting, obviously, was there was no crystal ball. And like you said, it was a bit of a crapshoot. Um, and so it definitely makes sense that you – with with the strategy that you took you were able to land a lot of the guys you went after because i'm sure um i'm sure there were people out there that you know navigating it for the first time didn't really know what to expect and so they were probably trying a bunch of different things maybe offering more players than than they should have and things like that and once the crystal ball came into effect it became a lot more clear how those strategies worked and and which players you'd be likely to, to land but um yeah i mean clearly your strategy worked out well in season one and so i'm i'm assuming uh, that most of the players you got in season one are, are you know, the seniors on your roster now. Um, have you lost anyone to the draft or anything like that? Or, or have you been yeah, able to so hold on to those guys? My four-star point guard, his name was Kevin. And my, it was the last recruiting cycle, and I could offer him or the uh, five-star Frankie Lopez ended up going to Cal State Northridge. Um, and so I'm thinking, all right, I can offer this five-star and get him, but I'm scared he'll leave the draft next year. <laughs> Yeah. And then, so, so I go after this four star and then freshman year leaves the draft. I'm like, great. And then I look and Frankie Lopez, of course, stays in school. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then, 
Yeah, but then going into the season two recruiting, it's like the crystal ball changed everything. And I think the whole recruiting meta kind of caught up. And I was using the same strategy, but like my recruiting classes were a little weaker. Um, yep. But yeah. after that, I think I realized it was like, all right, uh, I need to start developing players because I got all these decent players and I'm falling behind. Because especially you see in season three, it's like uh, my roster rank actually gets worse. Yep. And so the past few seasons, I've just gone full development, and that's where I'm at now. Yeah, that, I mean, definitely that makes sense, especially from, like, the mid-major perspective, you know, getting those guys in there and then develop, developing them, hoping they don't go pro uh, before their senior year. Um, that's the predicament I find myself in, too, is trying to recruit guys who are good enough to, you know, make an impact right away and not drag my roster down, but at the same time, um, not too good to where if I develop them, they're going to go pro early and, and tank my team that way. But, um, and it sounds like you've been able to strike that balance pretty evenly. Um, and so, you know, we're going to talk about your roster a little bit more in depth here in a second, but kind of going into season five, it looks like you have one uh, newcomer and correct me if I'm missing a transfer or anything, but it looks like you have one new recruit, uh, Dewan Ebanks, a top 400 guy. Um, kind of what was your strategy for season five? Uh, or I guess it was last season, season four is recruiting. Did you have any specific places you need to, to fill your roster with um, or anything like that? Just kind of how, how you went about filling that that last spot. So season four, uh, I had the best team, like projected team in the conference. So I'm like, all right, I'm making this until the tournament this year. Um, so of course you have to go full clean. So you don't do that. And then you also go full recruiting, but whoever's done, if you've ever done that before, it is so hard to recruit players. Like you'll recruit, you'll recruit a guy 30 minutes later. It's like, he's no longer your guy. It's like, great. And so you basically just kind of go down the list and just hope someone sticks. And uh, that's how Ebanks came on the team. It wasn't a specific strategy. It was like, all right, this guy actually stuck and came to the school. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it looks like, yeah, you already had a power forward and, and that's what Ebanks is. So it's not like you needed to fill a specific um, position up from your roster. So that gives you the flexibility to, you know, uh, go after, like you said, just the best player that you can land. Um, and so that worked out well. It looks like he's a uh, a medium loyalty, medium development guy. So he's going to be able to uh, hopefully stick around. It doesn't, I don't think he's probably good enough to go to the draft early, but um, good enough to stick around and, and then de- should develop fast enough to also make an impact. Yeah, he better um, but, not go to the draft early. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it'll work out too well for him. Um, but looking at your roster as a whole, um, you've got, a really experienced roster. You've got, uh, what is that? Three seniors. Yeah. Three seniors and four juniors to, to round it out outside of Ebanks being a freshman straight out of high school. Um, yeah. What do you, what are you um, expecting from, you know, the top guys from your roster? Who are the guys that you think will make the biggest impact and um, kind of what that'll look like this year? Well, first off, we've got Kareem Edwards, who's a 17.2 overall and he has been, a preseason uh, all-conference player for the past four years he's been at school, and he's actually a back-to-back preseason uh, player of the year for the Big West, and so I'm expecting huge things out of him this year. Um, the rest of the team is just experienced. You know, uh, I'm returning the past my all-five starter for the past three seasons, and so I noticed in the new season file that we have an experience ranking and a continuity ranking, and I'm both. I'm pretty high on both of those, so I'm really hoping that helps me take a huge leap this year. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. I think that addition to the season five file was really interesting because 
um, you know, not only do you get to see kind of where your team falls in those categories, but I think it also piques people's interest because it makes you wonder if those are kind of baked into the results of the, of the games that are being played. And so um, I don't know whether that's the case or not. I don't have any like inside intel on that, but I, I mean, from your perspective, it certainly wouldn't hurt if it is baked in there with your experience. You've got the 19th most experienced team in the country. Uh, your continuity is 27th in the country. Um, so like you said, you, you rate really well there. And then, I mean, yeah, you, re- you return uh, an all big West performer, Kareem Edwards. And yeah, I mean, he's going to be a stud this year again. I would ha- have no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the other thing that's interesting though about that new tab is that it also r- ranks uh, the team's like height and weight and gives you like that. And I don't know exactly how that would be factored into the performance. So I, again, I'm not sure if the experience or continuity plays into it. It would make sense to me if it, if it did to some degree. Um, but, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. You've got, you've got yourself positioned really well there. Um, and, and just for some yeah. further context for everyone too, um, your, your starters are ranked, you know, 38th in the country. So you've got the 30th best starting lineup and then your bench is 105th. And so that's kind of how you fill out your, your strength of roster being 57th in the country. But um, I, I, it feels like the starters have weighed heavier uh, to based on game results. So I think, you know, having the 38th strongest starting lineup, it definitely bodes well for you too. Yeah. I'm really excited about this season. I'm also curious how height affects things because my boys are lanky. I mean, they're, we're 13th in height. Um, and even though I only have one point guard on the roster, Ben Donaldson, I like to think Kareem Edwards plays the point for me, but I guess it, it doesn't really work that way in the sim world. But <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. That's the other interesting thing is I, people, some people on on Discord went through and I think figured out how that um, the starters overall was calculated, and I think they did take um, just the, the average of the five best players. So that again makes you wonder kind of how all that plays into it because I know. I, I at least was under the impression, I think a lot of people weren't, were under the impression that, um, you know, the best player from each position was a starter. And maybe that's still the case um, in terms of how the games are, are simulated. But at least the way that metric was was calculated, it looks like it's the five best players. So you might be right. You might be getting a lot of uh, point guard play from, from Edwards. It makes sense that he would want to have the ball in his hands a lot. Um, and yeah, considering you're your point guard is near the bottom of your roster. I, I definitely exactly be nice to have Edwards out there more. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going into, like you said, this is a really strong roster. You've got Edwards 17.2 overall, um, but your starters average uh, overall rating is 14.66. Uh, a little dip with your bench, but um, I mean, that, that includes the freshman who, who is going to be expected to, to help out right away, but um, shouldn't, he's not going to drag your roster down at all. He's 9.2 overall, pretty solid for a freshman. Um, but you've got six guys over that 10, uh, 10 rating. And then, you know, the top five are all over 12 and a half. So this is a really strong roster from the Big West. I'm, I'm expecting, you know, you to have an, another really strong season, hopefully your best season uh, to date in the sim. But what are you um, – I'm curious to hear about, you know, your perspective on the conference teams that maybe you've struggled with in the past and then kind of the outlook for season five. Okay, so early on the first season, uh, shout out to Long Beach State. We were the worst two teams in the conference and the bottom feeders, and now we're the two top dogs. So shout out to Long Beach State. You've been doing a great job. Um, and then, of course, Cal State Northridge has uh, been the uh, top dog late with uh, Frankie Lopez coming in there, the five-star. 
Um, but right now, with uh, their NCAA sanctions and Frankie Lopez leaving, uh, they're kind of in the aftermath of what caught, what happened there. Yep. Um, but yeah, right now it's really just me and Long Beach State. We're kind of I consider us rivals, and they're much younger than I am. And I'm scared after this season they're really going to take over, take me over. Yeah, I mean, like you said, that's that's it's fun to watch. You know, two teams that start at the bottom now we in the conference. Um, you know, both prestige five teams right now. Uh, both, I mean, just looking at the way you guys have developed in the last four seasons, um, your team has improved over uh, six. Uh, points as a, as a whole on average and then Long Beach State's right around five so um, really impressive rise from both of your teams uh, you know just looking at the preseason standings for uh, the Big West it does look like Long Beach State will be that team that, that contends most closely with you and then you've got a dip uh, be- before you have you know UC Irvine and Cal Poly coming in about third and fourth respectively and then uh, and then there's another dip before you get to the bottom half of the conference but um Man, I I know just from my experience coming from the A Sun, I've experienced some crazy results in not only conference play but also the conference tournament. So you can't really take anything for granted. Um, you got to get as many wins as you can, and and on top of that, you got to try to schedule as best you can to make sure you get some tough games. And um, so, kind of going into you know your non-conference schedule, since your conference isn't you know the most the most difficult, you don't have a ton of opportunity for quality wins. Uh, what did, what was your strategy for scheduling uh, games this year, and and what teams are you looking forward to playing against? Well, so being in a small conference, uh, the only way you're making the NCAA tournament game is if you win the conference. That's uh, that's basically it. Like you have to win your tournament, your conference tournament to get in. Um, and especially since the Big West as a whole is extremely down this year, pretty much. Like especially at the bottom half, it's like. Um, they're not doing me any favors playing conference games. I'm pretty sure I can go undefeated in conference and still not make the tournament if I don't win the, uh, the, the conference tournament. Um, but non-conference, really, I've just been scheduling good mid-major programs that like I can hopefully beat. <laughs> um, so we got Valpo, Western Michigan, Sanford, Lafayette. They're all really good programs. And then... I'm also in the battle for Atlantis and get a shot at Duke. So that should be real exciting. Yeah. I mean, just looking at your non-conference schedule, obviously what pops up to me initially is Duke in that battle for Atlantis tournament. But, and then just looking at the rest of that field in the battle for Atlantis, you've got uh, Villanova who's preseason number seven, um, Wisconsin's preseason number 20, Texas A&M's preseason number nine. And uh, you've also got Cincinnati, um, another team that's, been in the top 25 plenty of times they're they're probably right around there i can't remember exactly where they fall but um and then and then you've got cal baptist and unc Asheville rounding it out um cal baptist has been on the rise as well um but but yeah so that's the first thing that pops out to me is just kind of how stacked that battle for atlanta's tournament is this year um so it's exciting to get a chance at duke like you said and then you you might have a chance at a couple of those other big name teams as well um because it wouldn't be that that outlandish to see you pouring an upset of duke um, but then, you know, looking at the rest of your schedule, like you mentioned the mid-major teams that you've scheduled, um, you know, Lafayette is a team that got promoted recently. Valparaiso, I believe, also got promoted this, this uh, coming into season five. And I, and I believe Western Michigan got promoted last season. So you're talking about a lot of teams that have really um, done well and built strong programs in the last couple of seasons. So, um, yeah, I mean, that those are, those are some fun games. Um, like you said, it's going to be tough to – build a resume good enough to earn that large bid. So it's really going to come down to the conference play, but 
uh, hopefully with, with some of the games you've been able to schedule your teams, you know, um, you know, they've gotten the, the, the big games out of the way. They've been battle tested a bit going into conference play and then they can uh, do their damage there. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, this is, I, I think you've got, you've got all the makings for a really strong mid-major team. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how it plays out in the season with, within your conference. And then hopefully you have a good result in the conference tournament and see if you can make some noise in March Madness. Yeah, I'm hoping that's the case. So if I can make some noise, March Madness. Uh, I know last season was my first uh, NCAA tournament appearance after being the best team in conference and having an extremely disappointing season. And we'll pull out a conference tournament win as a four seed. So I'm hoping this year we can roll in there as the number one seed and just dominate conference play and make it easy for me without me sweating. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I mean, as, at least you got it done when it when it counted. I, my team, I, I cannot say the same. We had a disappointing <laughs> – uh, we had a disappointing – conference slate and then we uh lost in the semifinals as well so didn't even didn't even get a chance at the nit or anything like that but yeah i think like you said i think your team's well positioned um you should have a really strong season and then you never know um what could happen with the promotion or things like that it's fun to um potentially be able to uh, move into a higher prestige level get, get yourself um positioned for some better recruits and things like that and and maybe even make a, a conference jump if if that you know interests you but um, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm excited to see how it plays out. I'm always rooting for the mid-major teams uh, to make some noise in March Madness because one of these years there's going to be a, a really big run from from one of them, and uh, it could be this year. So good luck to you, and uh, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on, and go Aggies. <laughs> go Aggies. All right, thanks. My next guest is a repeat guest of the show. It's actually the first guest on the Heat Check Sim show. Um, you know, but he's he's brought Monmouth basketball on the, from the heat checks him to new heights. So I felt like I had to bring him back for season five. Uh, Mark Hutchinson, I've got you on the line. How's it going, coach? Everything's going great. Uh, just can't wait until we can tip off season five. Yeah, but a little bit of a layoff here, obviously, and especially uh, for a team like uh, Monmouth, who's got really high expectations for season five. I'm sure uh, it wasn't the easiest layoff for you guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's here, it's coming. We've got games in just a few days now. Yeah. Best thing about the Sim League is that there's no COVID shutdown. So, um, we are good to go when Eli finally gives us the clearance for that opening starting date. And it feels taken forever, but, uh, I'm ready to go. Can't wait. Yeah. We're, we're almost there. Like you said, um, yeah, before we talk about your season, five team and your outlook for season five I kind of w- just wanted to give everyone the, the context of you know like where your team has come from the beginning of the sim I know you your team has a little bit different of a story than um, the other two uh, coaches I've interviewed for this episode where theirs has been kind of a consistent rise yours took a little bit bumpier of a path um, but I'm curious uh, to hear kind of from your perspective how you were able to you know um, right the ship after after one season of being down a little bit and, and get to the point you are now? Yeah, so in the beginning, I don't think any of us really knew what we were doing. Um, you know, guys like yourself, you know, and me and, and, and some others, we were trying to figure it out, but we didn't have the answers. So, you know, I'll take the listeners back to, you know, back to year one with me. And again, uh, so thankful to be back on as a repeat guest. Um, and uh, sorry for those of you who heard me the first time and 
Uh, if you did, we'll, we'll take you back a little bit. And if you haven't, then you know what? I'm a new voice for you. And you can hear the twists and the turns of what it was like in the beginning of the sim uh, where we really didn't know what we were doing. So, uh, yeah, year one, I started with a fringe top 100 roster. I uh, had a couple of standout seniors and we ultimately lost in a Mac title game by one point to Iona, who used to be the most dominant uh, team in the sim Mac. Uh, but during those recruiting cycles, which I like to call the BC time of the sim before the crystal ball, I was only able to land one player who is still on my roster. He's my star shooting guard, Dewan Vaughn. Uh, for a while, I was telling everyone he was the one and only guy who wanted to come to Monmouth for me. Um, so I got those dreaded autofill editions, which I went on and on about on, on my first visit here on the, the sim podcast. And uh, I really bottomed out in season two. It was brutal. We were losing pretty much every game. Um, and then what I decided to do was uh, try to get as much talent as I could during season two uh, recruiting periods. And that's when I reloaded big time with the crystal ball. Uh, Four-man class of all three-star recruits, center Tibor Edelin, point guard Lewis Clem, power forward Langston Quigley and small forward Michael Aluma. And like we had said earlier when I was on, they were from all over the map. Um, Dewan Vaughn, he played AAU ball with Lewis Clem in Philly. So we got them back together in the backcourt. Uh, Tibor Edelin, we got from Germany. Uh, I think that the Monmouth blue rivaled the Dallas Mavericks jerseys <laughs> enough that he was able to f- try to follow in his childhood idol, Dirk Nowitzki's footsteps to uh, the, from the Mavericks to the Mammoth. Um, and then we got Langston Quigley and this was before heights and weights were part of it. Again, the, the sim recruiting and the info evolves every year. So Quigley's undersized guy, six, six tough kid from New York uh, defender, uh, not, not so much skilled, but we wanted an enforcer to support Tibor, Tibor Edelin, who was more of a skill big. And then Michael Aluma, we got all the way from Africa. So, and he was a, an offensive gifted small forward who still to this day is a bit allergic to defense. Um, and now all four of those guys are still here with Dewan Vaughn in the starting lineup coming up on their third year, all five starting together. So those guys, unfortunately, fell short in the MAC title game for a second time. Um, and then going into season three, I decided to focus on recruiting to shore up my bench because I'd had the autofill guys. I grabbed like some not so great 6.2, 6.6 overall transfers that I could use for one year and get rid of. Um, and, and I shored up my bench and I landed a three-man class of all three-star guys uh, big center and Reed Finner, who is a defensive ace, Demetric Ferguson, who I thought was going to be taking over for Dewan Vaughn sooner than later as my starting two guard. Luckily, I have them both. And um, maybe a guy who fell a little bit under the radar in point guard, Dion Batty, who's from Washington, D.C. We were able to sell him on coming to Monmouth over some bigger schools because we have a longstanding home and home with the school that he wished he could have gone to in Georgetown, local to Washington, D.C. So then in season four, we're loaded. We got, you know, eight good players. Uh, You know, we can come at you in waves. 
We had a little bit more size, a little bit more defense. Huge year. 27-6 and six regular season. Won the MAC tournament. It just crushed through the MAC tournament. And um, we even won a tough 8-9 matchup versus Miami of Ohio in the big dance before, unfortunately, bowing out to a stacked UNC team. And they were on a mission. They were trying to repeat as national champs. Um, during season four, I shifted my whole focus and went full development and no recruiting. And that explains how my roster has jumped from being ranked 38th last season to the 15th overall ranked team this year with zero recruiting activity. And, and this was good enough to get us, uh, we did good enough to get us that elusive prestige upgrade from the five to the four uh, and continue to grow Mammoth into the Gonzaga of the East, which is exactly what I promised you and your listeners back on the first ever Sim podcast. Only now we're starting the year eight spots ahead of Gonzaga in strength of roster in the top 25 poll. So maybe we're even better than them now. Um, and I, this this season, this off season, while we were waiting and waiting and waiting for the information to come out, I had a few sleepless nights because I was wondering if my star shooting guard, Dewan Vaughn, who's a 16 overall, 9.4 offensive rating. He's a stud. Uh, I was wondering if he would leave early for the NBA draft, but luckily he didn't. And now we sit with arguably as good of a chance as any team in the whole nation, not just low majors, not just mid majors any team in the whole nation to bring home that national championship. Yeah. That's a fantastic breakdown of, you know, where, how, where you've come. I mean, yeah, you're talking about it. You started uh, 97th in str- strength of roster in season one, and then you took a big dip down to 281 in season two. And so um, with those big recruiting classes and then going full development in season four, you've, you've been able to work your way up all the way to 15th in the country, like you said um, in season five, which is just, uh, remarkable for uh, a team that was prestige five that whole time. Obviously um, you also just got that promotion to, to prestige four for this year, which will definitely help uh, boost your team going forward, but an incredibly impressive run that you've had uh, to get to season five and to set yourself up to have, you know, the best season in, in sim history for, for your team and, and potentially make a ton of noise in March Madness. Like you said, you, you're, maybe a bit of a sleeper for the the national championship, but it wouldn't be the most surprising thing. And I think, um, you know, sweet 16 elite eight is definitely within the realm of possibility as well. Um, I mean, your team, yeah, really the sky's the limit for this team. And, and we're going to talk about um, kind of your, your roster and your team's outlook for this year. Um, and so the first thing that I want to know about, about I guess going into your roster with season season five is how did you how did you build this team to be so so stacked and you you still only have one senior so I guess I want to know how are you gonna kind of fill out that roster going forward and what's your strategy for season five? Sure. So before we we break down and and it's so interesting because you get so attached to these guys now that they're your guys, like the guys that I brought into my program that I recruited, that I developed, that, you know, came to me. I I don't have any, any transfers on this roster. Every single guy is homegrown. I don't have a single, a single Juco. So, you know, you get, you get really, really involved in the fact that these are your guys. And as far as my strategy this year, we're going as fast as we can. We're going to run people off the court. 
Okay. Uh, I don't see any night this year until late in March Madness where we're not the better team on the on the court. Um, and and we have challenged ourselves in the non-conference, which we'll get to later as much as uh, a low mid-major can. But we're, we're going to try to run people off the court. We want to win by 30 in the MAC. Uh, we we, we want to kill the spirits of the Riders and the Fairfields and in the Quinnipiacs who, you know, think that they want to step up to Mammoth's level and try to win that MAC and keep Iona down towards the bottom now. <laughs> and my other strategy is very different than last year. So uh, credit some people on Discord or discredit them or thank them or thank list because they have my guy Lewis Clem in the top 40 for possibly uh, leaving early for the NBA draft. And then my guy Tibor Edelin as a possibility on there as well. So they scared me. Uh, I rode with Dewan this off season, scared to death that he was going to leave me early. And, uh, you know, I went full development anyway and, and rolled the dice and I'm not gambling this year. Um, I'm going with uh, one for development and then I'm going for full on recruiting. And, and there's two reasons for this. One is, yes, I don't want to fall off the map from being nationally relevant when Dewan Vaughn graduates. Two is I don't want T. Borita Lynn and Lewis Clem going up to the NBA just yet. And three is that I have to see if this strategy works. If being in Prestige 4, that I can get a legit recruit um, being full clean so that I can definitely go to the dance while uh, going full high school JUCO recruiting. And that will also let me know if I can win those recruiting battles by being full clean and full recruiting, if that will work for me next year when half my roster graduates. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, a lot of people would look at your roster and say, Oh, you only have one senior. Um, you could, you could definitely fully develop this team and just get the best recruit you can. And then, and I mean, you'll have a stack team next year, but like you said, you've got multiple guys uh, outside of your one senior that could go pro early and that could really leave, leave your roster with some holes. Um, so I, I think the strategy that you've laid out has a ton of merit. I think, you know, kind of limiting or capping their uh, overall Clem and Edelin at, you know, that's six, right around 16 um, would give you the best chance to bring those guys back. And then uh, it also does give you that opportunity to see how well you can recruit without having to play it dirty. Um at the prestige level four, knowing that you only need to fill one spot. Um, and that'll give you more, um, you know, more information to work with going into next season where you're going to have uh, potentially, if everyone stays, you'll have four seniors next year and a lot of spots to fill. So I think it makes sense. I think you'll be set up um, regardless to have another really strong season in season six um, with that strategy. But, you know, focusing on season five now, kind of tell us about your roster. We've heard the names, but, um, Tell us about your roster and what you're expecting from those guys this year. Yeah. So, I mean, our roster is loaded. Uh, I think we have three players that are very special mid-major players this season. Uh, you heard about Dewan Vaughn. He's a 16 overall, but he's a 9.4 offense. Uh, so he is an offensive machine. Then we got Tibor Edelin. Uh, he's, he's just a skilled big guy. He's gotten better every year on campus. 8-1 uh, on the offense, 7-5 on the defense. Again, 
He's a 15-6. Lewis Clem is also a 15-6. Lewis Clem is about as consistent of a mid-major point guard as you can get on both sides of the ball. He's 7-8, seven, 7-8. Eight, seven, eight. Um, I think that he's a guy that I'm hoping will get a few more assists this year. Uh, it, it's tough because, you know, we have a lot of guards on our roster. We have uh, we have Vaughn and Clem, and then off the bench, I have Demetric Fer- Ferguson, who's a shooting guard, and Dion Battle, uh, Dion Batty, who's a point guard. So Clem doesn't get those gaudy assist numbers, but uh, I definitely think that he is the straw that stirs the drink for our offense, so to speak. Um, and then I got Langston Quigley and Michael Aluma, and you know it's so interesting. Like I, when I recruited both of those guys, I got them both in the third recruiting cycle. Uh, that year and and my my thing was I just need a starting five like that you know so I had to want at the two guard then I had gotten Tibor in recruiting cycle one the next year and I had gotten Clem in two and recruiting cycle two and then I said I just need a couple role players to to play the forwards and I mean they've developed really well Quigley's a, a 14.2 with a 7-9 defense and Aluma is a 13.1 with the 7-7 offense so it's uh you know they fill their roles well in, in that starting lineup our starting five like I had said is going to be moved into their third straight year starting together all five of them uh and they're ranked the 20th best starting lineup in the entire nation at a 15.36 overall and you know what despite what is an impressive starting group i think the thing that got us over the hump last year was our bench which is made up of those three now really good sophomores who were three freshmen last year and it was interesting we had three freshmen coming off the bench that was our entire bench i feel like those three guys grew together um, on a full development year and you're talking the center reed finner He's 6'10". He's a 9.6 defensive rating. He's a 15 overall. He would start on a whole bunch of squads around the nation. He'd be the best player on a bunch of squads around the nation. But for us, he's a game changer as our sixth man, and he's really boosted our defense. Uh, I envision lineups where Tibor Edelin plays the power forward and Finner plays the center, and you got a 6'10 and a 6'9 guy out there, one who uh, is a superior offensive big, one who is one of the best defensive bigs in the entire nation. Um, and then you got Demetric Ferguson, who I thought might be starting this year with Dewan gone pro, but luckily he's back. And in my opinion, he's the second best shooting guard in the whole Mac. And he's our seventh man. And he's a 14.6 overall. And then we, we rounded out with uh, Dion Batty, who's a 13 overall. And he's really strong for an eighth man. And last year you'd be going through the box scores. And all of a sudden this kid was throwing up, double digits in in really big games including our win over Miami of Ohio. Uh it's very impressive that at Mammoth we have one of the best offensive weapons in the country and one of the top defensive weapons as well. So, on top of all that, the one thing that really sets us apart from every other team in the nation is that we are first in the country in team continuity, which is something new that EY has maybe just revealed to us. Maybe it's always been there. Maybe it's always been part of it, but these guys have played together. They've grown together. Um, They've learned how to win together. Uh, We return, like I said, all five starters for the third year together and all eight players from last year. Overall, we're the absolute class of the Mac. We are the best mid major in the East. 
And with our continuity and our togetherness, I think that uh, our team could be set up for a deep NCAA tournament run with a chance to be the first non-Power 5 to bring home that Sim National title. Yeah, I mean, what a fantastic breakdown of your team. But, I, I yeah, I mean, it's hard It's hard to figure out, you know, what you could have done to build this team any better uh, to set yourself up for a deep, deep March Madness run. I mean, like you said, you've got you've got continuity locked up. This is when you're when you're trying to figure out what it takes to win in in March. You know, you want continuity. You want players that have played together and played in big games. You've got all that. Um, you've got a fantastic backcourt, which typically in March you need you need a point guard. You need back a great backcourt and you've got a fantastic backcourt. But also it's, it's a lot of times the mid-majors that struggle in March Madness or the ones that can't make a run is because they don't have the big men to compete. Uh, but you you have you know you have those as well. You have, uh, like you said, one of the best defensive big men in the country, and then you've also got an offensive weapon there too. And then your bench is extremely solid. I mean, again, with mid majors, a lot of times um, they'll have a solid starting group, maybe a couple really really strong players, a couple studs, but then their bench is where it kind of takes a nosedive. And it's actually one of your strengths, like you said, it's the ninth best bench in the entire country, um, and so you're going to be able to go eight deep in really big games and get contributions from everyone. And uh, I think, like you said, it sets your team ex- up extremely well. You don't really have any glaring weaknesses, at least as far as I can tell. Um, so, like you said, it's an extremely exciting year to be uh, a Monmouth heat check basketball fan. And uh, so I'm curious to hear, you know, now that we ca- kind of have a, you know, more perspective on what your roster looks like, I'm c- kind of curious to hear your thoughts on, um, you know, the conference as a whole um, and kind of where you, obviously you stack up right at the top, but kind of what teams have given you uh, some difficulty in the past maybe and then how, how it sets up for this year. Yeah, so it's interesting. The second best team in the MAC is Quinnipiac, and they're actually computer-led now. So hmm. um, I'm hoping they have three really good seniors on their roster. My hope is that they dip a bunch this year so that they're no longer even, um, you know, that number two competitor next year. A riders coach is really good. He got the bump up to prestige for a year before I did. Um, he recruits well. Uh, I think he runs a really dirty program. So he recruits really, really well. Hey, when I was on with you the first time, I pretty much was saying to everybody that, you know, we were doing every single possible thing we could do to get every player we need on campus. Okay. That's right. You got to right. when you do it. All right. And uh, I think Ryder's really good. Um, I think they're going to be uh, a problem in the Mac going forward for us. Um, after that, I think it, it really dips. Iona's coach had left them two years ago and they just aren't the same without him. Um, Fairfield has uh, a potential lottery or first round pick in their center in O'Connor. Um, but the rest of their roster doesn't match up with him. So that's interesting. I like that we have Edelin and we have Finner to kind of, uh, negate his presence. Um, Niagara had a good year last year. Uh, you know, and St. Peter's is another active coach. So, you know, when you're talking about, you know, this year and then what goes into next year and the year after, if you don't have an active coach who's figured this out, things can go sour very quickly at this level. I I don't think people understand, and I love that you're, you know, you're highlighting um, some of the low and the mids 
that uh, are really developing their teams because people who aren't so quote unquote stuck in a traditionally one bid league don't understand what could happen. Like this is why I have to figure out if being fully clean and fully uh, a five for recruiting works to get players at prestige four, because if it doesn't this year, then I can't run that next year because half my roster will be gone. Uh, you know, be graduating with those four seniors the following year. So, you know, you have to figure all this stuff out in order to stay on top. But, you know, Quinnipiac is uh, 79th ranked overall. And then Riders 128, there there are two uh, big challengers. But you know what? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we lose one MAC game this year. I like, it I like, I like the prediction. I think uh... – I think, yeah, I think honestly, like if we're talking about, you know, just general Mac fans, I think they're probably going to be rooting for someone other than your team to win a conference tournament because then we'll be looking at a two-bid Mac. So that would be exciting. Obviously, you want to get everything done in your power to have the best seed that you can can have. And so, you know, obviously winning those games against Quinnipiac and then winning your conference tournament is is big. Um, Unfortunately, um, the conference, I mean, it, it's not a bad conference, like for, for a mid to low major conference, it's not bad. And like you said, um, yourself and, and Ryder both been promoted to, to prestige four recently. And then Iona is also in that category. So it's got the, the makings of a strong, uh, mid-major conference for the future. But, um, for just speaking for this year, you know, you've got Ryder, Marist, St. Peter's and, uh, Niagara all in kind of that 120 to 190 range so i mean that's and that's the three through six in your conference after that it all dips below 200 so um you don't have a ton of opportunities to uh, build a, a strong resume um in your conference so unfortunately like you, I, you gotta you gotta kind of build that resume in the non-conference um to try to get the seed that you want to get to be able to make that big run so honestly if we're talking about you know what could be uh, your one weakness for making a deep March Madness run. It might just be um, the difficulty you might have building a resume that can warrant a, a two or three seed. Uh, you might be stuck with a four, or maybe a five seed. And if you can do that, you're still putting yourself in a good position to make a run. But um, just it just becomes a little bit more difficult, obviously. And so with that in mind, um, let's, I mean, let's talk about your non-conference schedule. What kind of what went into that? Who did, who did you, who were you able to schedule and then kind of what was your thought process in putting it together? Sure. So uh, what I've noticed with the sim as the years have gone on, people are not as interested in the home and homes. I like them. I like uh, getting that back and forth with an opposing coach and, you know, getting the revenge if you lose or, you know, the coach trying to get revenge on you. So uh, I've been pretty big for a proponent of the home and homes. Uh, and the, the only problem is when someone like Stetson doesn't fill out their sheet this year, and then I get stuck with 318th SOR Portland State because he didn't fill out his side of the sheet. So Stetson, I'm calling you out. You know what? I was so excited for you last year when you won the ASUN tournament. We've played a couple times in our non-conference, and you were supposed to come back to Monmouth again this year. So, uh, I don't know. I guess I got to cheer for the Liberty Flames in the A-Sun this year or something. Uh, but, 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 yeah, we're, uh, we're putting the Queen City Classic again, and I think that's good for us. Um, we were there last year. Um, there, there are some good opportunities. They were starting with a near top 100 Missouri State team. 
And then we could get opportunities against the likes of St. Louis, who's 46th, Indiana, 64th, Virginia, 82nd. Those would all be really, really good games for us. Our protected rivals, the LIUs and Sacred Hearts and UMass Lulls, they they really pulled down our non-conference roster because no one expected Mammoth to be what they are, okay? They didn't know I was going to come in here and turn Mammoth into what it is. So when Eli put this together... You know, he had said, oh, yeah, Mount St. Mary's and Monmouth, that'll be a good matchup every year. You know what? They're not on my level now. But, you know, you have those. It's nostalgic for your fans who like those those games against teams that you always play. Again, Monmouth's never played UMass well once ever in, in, in the real world, let alone the Sims. So I think that they just needed somebody on the, on their roster. Maybe I can campaign to get them kicked out of my, uh, <laughs> my protected rivals now that I'm I've moved up in the world to prestige four, but uh, you know, uh, after that we have two really good mid-major games uh, return games from last year, uh, South Dakota state nipped us last year. They're 98th. And I, I don't think anybody in the sim has a better analytical mind than South Dakota state's coach. So, you know, if there's a way to uh, beat the team with the top continuity in the nation and a team with superior talent, it might be him. I think that's a risky game for us. Uh, again, they nipped us last year. So hopefully all eight of my guys will remember that and, and come back strong. It was a buzzer beater last year they beat us on. Um, we're playing VMI, which we had already scheduled, and then uh, Bracket Busters and invited me. So uh, we're playing them as part of the Bracket Busters, and uh, they're 66th in in roster strength they had a good good squad last year we were able to beat them uh and then i'm very thankful for the power conference schools who are doing home and homes with us georgetown who's 83rd in roster strength we are starting a second home and home uh they were the first and the only actual power conference team to take my open challenge that i put on our first visit on the podcast uh and uh, uh, so, so thankful and grateful for that. We had split our previous two matchups, so it'll be interesting this year. I think that's a really good uh, game for us. Uh, that, again, Dion Batie really wanted to play at Georgetown, so us playing, we'll play them every year of his Mammoth career, hopefully. And then the in-state power of Seton Hall is 26th overall, who really are, you know, it's like a fraction of a point uh, worse than us in roster strength. That that's a great game for us, and and we thank them for taking the home and home. Uh, I will have open dates next year. I'd played Cincinnati last year, but he didn't want to do a home and home, so we had to go to them for just one one season. But uh, you know, any of those power conference teams that want to step up and you know play us and give us a home and home, and we'll actually fill out the form, unlike Stetson. Uh, you know, uh, hit me up on Discord. I'm there. Uh, the yeah. Portland State. <laughs> The 318th ranked in the SOR, adding as our last game is just not going to do anything for us. I hope we beat them by 100. Maybe that'll help. Uh, but with all that being said, this is the most challenging non-conference slate that I've been able to put together as their co- as the Monmouth coach. And, you know, we aren't afraid to play anyone, anywhere, anytime. I always say that. And uh, I hope that the games against the big-time teams will enable us to ready ourselves for that long postseason run and – uh, I know on your season four preview show that I that I listened to, I believe that was back whew, maybe August, October. <laughs> oh, 
I know I was out shooting baskets and listening to it. It was a beautiful day. I want to say it might have been a fall day. Um, you had said that that was the year for Mammoth, but it's actually this year is really yep. the year for this program to shine, not only in the MAC spotlight, not only in the the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, but in the national spotlight deep into simulation march. Yeah, definitely. I, I yeah, this is this is the year. You, I was definitely a year early previously, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the uh, protected rivals, and I think, man, I wish I, I totally understand why Eli did that, and I wish um, that maybe that gets taken out at some point, just because. I think you're right where it's like if, if you play in a conference where you don't have many opportunities to get quality wins and then you only have 12 non-conference games and four of those are taken up by, you know, quote unquote rivals who, who are just awful. A lot of these are like CPU led that you can't control, you know, how good they're going to be or anything like that. Right. Uh, it just like, completely inhibits your ability to create a, a tough non-conference schedule and, 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 you know, build, build a resume that you think is warrants a higher seed for a team that's as good as yours um so i mean i hope that kind of goes by the wayside at some point i do like the multi-team events i think you know um i think there's always like an element of anticipation to see like where you're going to fall and who's going to be in that event with you so i think those are fun i i love those events so even if you don't necessarily get a a matchup you love it, it it's fun every year it's a little different every year um but i'm hoping maybe at some point we can at least like reduce the protected rivals to two or something like that. Um, Cause I mean, that just seems like a huge portion of your schedule to have locked away against kind of inferior opponents. And then, like you said, you got stuck with Portland state as well. So that just further inhibits your ability. But other than that, I mean, you do, you do, you do have some fun uh, matchups. You got uh, Seton Hall and Georgetown from the beast. Obviously that's really fun. Um, And then South Dakota state and uh, VMI and, Missouri State are all fun mid-major teams that have been pretty solid. So um, it's it's a good it's a good uh, schedule. Not not the toughest. Obviously, your your strength of schedule is uh, 166 this year, um, but but tougher than you've had in the past. So I think that's good. It'll be a good test for your guys. The one thing I am curious about is um, I've heard some really good things about your exhibition opponent, and you seem to have left <laughs> them out of your uh, <laughs> of your dialogue. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on them. Yes, yeah, so it's interesting because we play Liberty every year in the exhibition, and every year the game goes down to the wire. So uh, I think that exhibition makes both of our teams better. Uh, I have a lot of respect for their coach. Um, he, he he talks a lot, but he, he's a good coach. Uh, and uh, yeah, with the uh, you know, the, I think the exhibition is is really fun um, because I know like a lot of people don't want to play maybe their friends teams and their friends get a loss or, you know, so the exhibition uh, is definitely a lot of fun. We've enjoyed the games against Liberty. Um, When talking about seeding and um, the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, realistically, I think that Monmouth, my Monmouth squad probably is right around the five line. Um, I think that if, if we can win, you know, uh, a great percentage of our games and a couple of those games against, you know, the bigger and better teams, maybe win the Queen City uh, challenge. And then maybe, you know, the Seton Hall, if we could beat Seton Hall, that would be huge. Um, 
and then not have any of those sub 200 level losses. So, you know, if we're going to lose a game in the Mac, lose to, you know, a Quinnipiac, maybe um, if we're going to lose in the non-conference, I, I just have a bad feeling looking at South Dakota state. I don't know why uh, <laughs> fire the schedule maker for Monmouth, I guess. Um, but you know what, if, if, if we can uh, stay away from that and some of those big conference teams beat up on each other, then, you know, maybe we can get on the, on the four line and then that would be really good. I have to say that uh, last year when we had gotten the, the eight seed, I thought that the committee was uh, very generous with us. Um, I, I had been hoping to get a 10 seed when I was listening and, and, and following along. I thought a 10 seed would be good. And so maybe the selection committee in the sim is uh, more appreciative of the low and mid majors that are, you know, your top low and mid majors versus the real NCAA selection <laughs> committee who consistently screw the low and the mid majors come seeding time. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think, I think I agree. It, it, like if your team goes, assuming you make it to the championship in your non-com or in your conference tournament, that's 31 games. If you win, you know, 27, 28 of those games, maybe that's a lot to ask, but I think it's doable for your team. If you do that, it'd be just really hard for me to envision a seed lower than a five. And honestly, with a record like that, and just considering how strong your roster is and everything, I, I think it would warrant a four. Um, it, man, it'd be kind of tough for me to envision a three, but yeah, I think four sounds like sounds about right to me, four or five. Um, and if you can do that, I think it sets yourself up for at least a solid, you know, sweet 16, elite eight run. Um, it'll give you that opportunity at least. It, it gets tough when you're in like that six seed because then, then you're facing a three seed in the second round. And then that's followed by a two seed. Uh, you know, it, it just, it gets a lot tougher. So um, obviously if you can get at least a five, you're, you're going to like your position a lot better. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for, um, you know, I've enjoyed talking to a bunch of these different mid-major coaches who are all expecting big things out of their teams, but obviously yours is, you know, a notch ahead of those, those other schools um, and basically any other mid-major school in the country this year. And so uh, as always, I'm rooting for the mid-majors to do well and to, you know, make their mark uh, and, or yeah, make their mark on the tournament and, and push as far as they can. So I'll be rooting for you then, and uh, I hope you have a great season. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and if it's if it's not Mammoth, I hope that it's someone else from a traditional one-bid league that is able to break through and win that national championship. That's every time when the, the NCAA tournament and the NIT come up, I, I follow along and I just constantly cheer for those teams that are from the, the one-bid leagues because um, anybody who joined the sim – and did not take over a team from a traditional one bid league does not understand how much more work and how much more difficult it is to kind of have the perfect storm happen and put together, you know, a roster like a VMI, like, like a mammoth, you know, like some of what uh, UNC Greensboro has been really, really strong. It's, it, it's tough to do. So um, yeah, you know, I, I like really, that. I like that phrase, that phrasing of, you know, the perfect storm, because it, it does, it takes a lot of different things. It takes um, not only multiple years of good recruiting and, and getting, you know, the right guys eligible or available for you to recruit and landing those guys, but it also takes, 
you know, a good run during your conference play in the season that you're set up to do well, but also in a one big league, you need to win your conference tournament most years. So, um, you know, all it takes is one, one loss in that tournament and you're, and you're on the wrong, wrong side of it. So, um, yeah, it really does take a perfect storm. Like you said, whereas in, in the big conferences, you can lose 12 games and still make the, make the tournament and get a, a decent seed and maybe win a game or two and, and move on to the next year. It, it means a lot more. Um, I think, like you said, coming from a one bid league. So it's always fun to root for those teams. I was just, I was about to ask you too, do you, off the top of your head, I'm, I'm trying to think if, if there have been any mid-major uh, programs that have made it further than the Sweet 16 yet. I can only think of a couple that have made it to the Sweet 16. I, I can't think off the top of my head, but hopefully we'll be. <laughs> hopefully this that- is the year. Um, you know, there there are some really good, you know, mid-majors when you look around. I mean, the right state from the horizon has a really yep. strong roster. Like I said, UNC Greenboro, uh, you know, my, myself included. Um, the Valpo, yeah, I guess the Missouri Valley might be more of a, a two-bid. But there there are a lot of really, really good low and mid-majors. And, you know, uh, I don't count St. Joe's because I think the A-10 is, is not really – uh, low and mid major. I think it's right there with the American, um, you know, for multiple bids and uh, teams that are high in prestige. So, uh, yeah, hey, we, we will gladly carry the flag and the banner for all low and mid majors this year. And we will take all low and mid majors with us as far as we can go. And, and like I said, going into the year, our, our goal is the national championship. Yeah, definitely. You're the you're building your your uh, program brick by brick, becoming that Gonzaga of the East, like you proclaimed a few seasons ago. And uh, you know, this is a season where you can see if you can take them to new heights once again. But but I'm, I have no doubt you won't be uh, you won't be falling off a cliff anytime soon. You're gonna you've got that program uh, figured out. You've got it in good hands. So um, yeah, good luck to you moving forward. Uh, good luck to you this season. I'm glad you were able to come back on, and I'm, I'll be rooting for you. Thanks so much, everybody. Uh, Let's get these games started and fly Hawks. Absolutely. Talk to you later. As we close, I just wanted to, you know, mention again, if you have any comments or questions, um, feel free to send them my way via Discord or on Twitter or wherever, and I'll do my best to incorporate my responses in future episodes. Um, Again, if you you have interest in hopping on the show or if there's anything you want to hear about in future episodes, uh, feel free to send those my way as well, and I'll I'll do what I can to, to fulfill those requests. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, you can look forward to the Season 5 preview um, with uh, South Dakota State's head coach Matt Evans and myself uh, dropping sometime in the next day or two. Um, but until then, see you later.